Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today as John Paulson remains on vacation, instead by two very special friends in the industry. First up, you know him if you've hung around 444.com for a little bit now. It is our own fantasy doctor, therapist, Adam Hutchinson. What would you like to be called? I should have asked you that before we started. You're good. Uh, fantasy therapist works. I mean, uh, yeah, either one. Okay. Either way, Adam Hutchinson, who keeps track of the injury index at the site. I believe it will be coming out shortly. You can speak on that more in a bit. And then also, it is not just us today. It is also an actual physical therapist in the minor leagues. Also the medical analyst over at our good friends, fantasypoints.com with Grand Barfield and Scott Barrett. It is none other than Edwin Porras. And I know I'm supposed to roll the R's, Edwin, but this tongue has a little bit of trouble doing that. So hopefully that was acceptable. No, yeah, you definitely nailed it. Just to clarify, Adam is an actual physical therapist as well. So we're both fantasy physical therapists. So and that. fantasy physical therapist. And I wanted to make sure both of you came on at this time. And that's why this podcast is important because it's the time where everyone is assuming these players we are about to talk about whether it be on underdog ffpc the list goes on are just either going to bounce back in week one maybe their adps are getting pushed down later on because they don't think they'll return until the later winter months and so i had the two of you on to discuss some important names and their adps right now and i want to start with the acl group because Brees hall at the beginning is going currently going Around the beginning to mid-third round, it's very possible, actually, to stack him with Garrett Wilson and just begin that jet stack since Aaron Rodgers' ADP dips to around 150, 160 around this time. And so, Edwin, let's go ahead and start with you. And just initial thoughts on Brees Hall and what people need to know about ACL tears since I believe the cliche line is they're all different. Yeah, no, I think that that, that cliche is definitely more true than a lot of other general cliches that get thrown around uh, about ACLs. And, you know, it's not really anybody's fault per se. I think there's some perceptions, just like there are when you talk about the real game. Uh, there's some misgivings about technique. There's some misgivings about uh, how to go, you know, what does play action actually do? How does it freeze the defense? It's the same thing when it comes to injuries. There's some old tropes that just sort of get thrown around all the time in fantasy circles, but that's why people like Adam and I exist. So the big thing about ACLs specifically, if I were to boil it down without going on a very long tangent and rant is if they're relatively minor and we can get into that if what that means if, if you really want to if they're a relatively minor straightforward procedure if the athlete is uh for our purposes 25 and younger really even better if they're 22 and younger uh, if they're just freak athletes even by nfl standards and if they have at least nine months to rehab with round three nfl draft capital all of those factors big picture will capture most of the bell curve and will show us and has shown us in the past with with research stuff that Adams looked at stuff that I've looked at stuff that's in the medical research. Those factors and those things that, that you include into what you can call a projection typically lead to at least a 90% return from a fantasy football production in the first year back from an ACL. So I said a lot. I'll shut up now. No, that was a great introduction and also why I bring the two of you on because again, I'm the one just shouting, just look at the the fantasy therapist. They're the ones saying these things. I don't know, but now you can say it for everyone and explain them. And Adam, I think it's also important, like Edwin said, to remind everyone that yes, Brees Hall just turned 22 May 31st. Uh, so go ahead and get into Brees Hall's ACL tear and recovery. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Edwin covered it perfectly there in terms of talking about ACLs in general with return to sports, specifically for NFL and and, and NFL running backs. Um, I think when you really get down to to the, like the nitty gritty, fantasy managers just want to know like, should I draft this player at cost or should I not draft this player at cost? Um, and I think I I don't want to assume things, but I think Edwin and I are in lockstep here with Brees Hall when we're talking about where he's currently being valued and his specific ACL tear. Um, I think it's a screaming buy heading into 2023, specifically when you look at what his situation as well, when we talk about fantasy production, and these are some things that I've looked at as well, uh, for whatever reason, and it could be the sample size, it could just be what's involved in the specific route tree, but targets and receptions and things like that, the year after an ACL tear tend to not be so negatively impacted. So when we think about with the Jets, with Aaron Rodgers and his type of philosophy, his ability, or I should say his his willingness to dump it down to um, the running back position. We've seen Aaron Jones be an absolute monster in PPR leagues. Um, I think you consider all those things, and, and Brees Hall um, is actually a good option heading into 2023. And unlike Brees Hall, if you are buying, which both of you are suggesting to do now, Javante Williams, as we know, also suffered an ACL tear. Uh, the dumbed-down way for me to say it is that it was more gruesome than Brees Hall's. Adam, I know you also gave me some data when I filled out Samaji Piran's player profile on the site with all our profiles running right now for everyone. So go ahead and discuss Javante Williams' injury and the difference between his and Brees Hall's. For sure. Um, and I actually... For a more in-depth version of this, I just published something at the 444 website because oh, awesome. we're, we're, we're company men, right? We got to promote promote the 444 brand in the website. So um, there's a little deeper dive of talking about Javante Williams for 2023. But on the flip side, I'm a little bit more bearish on his outlook just because of what went into his ACL tear as well. We're talking about LCL, posterior lateral corner, um, some of those ligaments being involved as well. You get with him, your similar outlook to what we saw with J.K. Dobbins, where he had a rather disappointing season, came on a little bit stronger towards it towards the end of the season. Um, just looking at research, return to play timelines, and things like that. For Brees Hall, when you don't have that LCL or posterior lateral corner involved, average return to play timeline for NFL running backs around the 330-day mark post-surgery. I think that's important uh, differentiation to make, too. It's not we're talking about injury. We're talking about when they had the specific surgery, so some wait a couple weeks depending on the extent of the injury. Um, for Javante Williams, you add about 100 days for his specific injury, and that's why – we're looking at guys last year, small sample, just two players, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, who both had a similar type injury. Their return to play timelines were much longer than what would typically be expected for a running back coming off an ACL tear. And the thing is, Edwin, and let me know if I'm doing this incorrectly, is that with best ball, we are now allowed to expand our portfolios. And so although I have initially gone on the idea, like Adam is saying, yes, Javante Williams will not be effective. We also can target, and I can tell myself, well, if he slips to 100, 110 ADP and is my RB3 or 4, which is very possible on underdog right now, maybe I'll get him back for week 15 and 17. Maybe he'll be effective then. Is that just a lie I'm telling myself, or is at least that possible? No, no, I think that's definitely possible. I don't take you for a liar, John. So that's definitely something to consider, especially like Adam was mentioning at the very beginning. Like J.K. Dobbins did come on strong towards the end, but it was a rough road to get there. There was a tweet that Adam Levitan put out from Established to Run. I don't know if you saw it or not at the time. I don't remember when it was, at what point it was, but J.K. Dobbins actually broke off a pretty long run 
but it it did not look pretty man it just did not look normal even and i try to say like that kind of stuff doesn't matter uh because i just think it's hard to see with the naked eye but this was so blatantly obvious he was it just looked off it just looked like he was limping um and it was just painful to watch now to, when it comes to Javante Williams, we could the same thing could happen. He could have a rough start. He could maybe start on Pup. If you remember, Pup is now, I think, just four weeks. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Pup is just four weeks now. So it's very realistic that he starts on Pup. He slowly gets integrated into that offense. It's very possible that at the, at the end of the season, he starts coming on. Or it's also very possible that he might have to have a cleanup surgery. Uh, we, don't, we don't know to what extent that how his knee is going to respond to high level activity because it is a more complicated procedure like Adam was mentioning. So with all of that in mind, yes, you're 100% right. You could be sitting pretty week 15, 16, 17 and go on a cruise with Pat Crane with your millions after you, after you win the, in the playoffs or that surgery potentially. And I'm not, again, I'm not predicting a surgery, but the risk again is that he does need a cleanup surgery and there's no way to predict when that would happen if it were to happen. And that could also be, week 15 16 17 so really i think i'm just talking in the weeds or getting more specific to how i view this situation is that even though i think the floor and I, this might be sort of what you're saying the floor might be a little higher uh or i guess a little more tolerable in best ball leagues but ultimately that risk for javante williams is still there it's still extremely volatile and we don't know we can't predict but based on averages and what we've seen in the data in the research Brees hall is much quote-unquote safer this year returning than Javante Williams is. So even at that ADP, again, 100 to 110, we think Javante is actually a very volatile dart that you would lean towards fading, if anything. So I, I, I just wanted to hop in here briefly. I actually think right now he is appropriately priced. I think that risk is actually baked in there. But we just got news like last week or two weeks ago that Javante was participating in OTAs. I almost anticipate that ADP to start creeping up into the, you know, mid eighties, early eighties. And that's when I'm out. So right now I'm okay because you can take him as like your RB three or a flex play and kind of figure it out. Even in best ball leagues, you could find some guys earlier in the season that would give you some points to get you to where Javante might be firing a little bit uh, later. But I just, with all the news and we're going to get into the off season hype and everyone's in the best shape of their life type of mindset that we usually get to in July and August. I, I imagine that ADP is going to start creeping up a little bit. I'm with Adam. I think he, he put it better than I could have put it. I think that's fine. If he's around pick 100, okay, he's your RB three. You take that risk on it's baked in. I think once he starts creeping up a little, uh, it, it really is something that I just don't want to any part of because of the value you might be missing out on by taking him. The other thing I'll say too, is to bring in some real life news. There are rumblings and reports that Broncos were interested in acquiring DeAndre Swift. Additionally, the reports that they were also interested in, um, in Dalvin Cook, that those are just don't bring a lot of confidence to 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 his entire situation as a whole, and they're almost trying to bake in actively bake in uh, that that volatility. And I want to come back to you on this, Edwin, because you touched on J.K. Dobbins, and now that we've discussed the difference between ACL tears and those players in particular, I want to touch on players returning in their second year from ACL tears. Uh, as you already mentioned, Dobbins relied on efficiency. When he returned, he averaged just 12.4 touches per game, which was only 36th among all running backs. I am 
somewhat concerned about his ceiling for microanalysis reasons, if only because uh, in each of Lamar Jackson's four seasons with the Ravens now, that team has finished bottom six and running back target rate. But that's not why we're here. We're here to discuss just how he is health-wise. And so where do you see Dobbins at? Is it completely cleared now of last year's torn ACL that he returned from? Yeah, so he should be physically completely cleared. The assumption is that there wasn't any serious nerve damage that would have led to that gimp that we were talking about uh, before that limp in his step. So if we assume that, and then yes, he is 100% cleared. He should be healthy. Uh, he It just gives him more time because you know you can improve after these injuries up to 18 months at a time from a physical perspective. Uh, so he should definitely be ready now. And if there's ever been a time to look into the second year ACL, you know, that rule that a lot of people uh, like to apply, um, this is it. There are specific circumstances and situations where you can actually invest in a, in a guy coming off their second year ACL. You can call it post hype. You can call it whatever you want. But if there was ever a guy who wasn't 100% last year and really just had brutal brutal luck last year from a health perspective it was jk dobbins and if we're going to see improvements we're going to see them right away so i think that uh whatever what is his, i don't even know what his adp is right now john so 56 and a half adp over the last week he is currently going as the rb 18 overall sandwiched in between aaron jones and miles sanders alexander madison creeping up i would imagine madison passes all of them and eventually makes his way to around pick 45 to 50. Yeah, I think at that point, he's potentially a guy. I'm not sure if I would go anchor, but I would be very comfortable with him personally as like as my RB2 if it's possible to get him there. And that's important, Adam, because we've seen these underdog drafts. Even though I still preach, at least right now, drafting your running backs in rounds two through three because that's where the absolute workhorse studs are, at least at this portion of the offseason – if you were to wait and still stack receivers, maybe you have Kelsey and go receivers after that instead. If Dobbins is there around pick 50, 55, yes, are you buying into that? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, just put some numbers into some context of what Edwin was talking about when we're looking at two years out from the ACL. So if we're pairing career averages versus two years out after that ACL game, uh, attempts per game increased by 4%, yards per game increased by 5%. If we're just comparing, um, two years out versus pre-injury level, we see yards per game percentage double compared to the first year out. So um, we're starting to see them become more confident and need more efficient. They're another year removed from that injury. Um, I think Dobbins is actually a pretty sneaky value to put some real life, real life context in it. I'm in like a couple of dynasty startups. I've been snatching up Dobbins just because I think people have been burned by him. He's had the ACL. He missed that complete, uh, the ACL tear, missed that entire season. And then last year was just a complete roller coaster. So people are like, I'm out. I think this is exactly the time to jump back in and get some JK Dobbins. Let's stick with the Ravens because some pertinent news came down the pipe today and that Rashad Bateman received a steroid injection in his foot and will, I believe, be held out of OTAs the rest of the way, which is only just a few more days for these veterans. So, Adam, is this news we need to already be concerned about given that Bateman has struggled with injuries his first two years in the league, including last year's foot injury? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you put those two uh, things in there, the guy that struggled with some injuries and now we've, we've got a foot injury um, and we're already not even getting into the season. We're hearing that there might be some issues with him obviously needing a steroid injection, which indicates he's dealing with some type of discomfort in that foot, some type of pain. Um, 
you mentioned the injury index earlier at the show. Um, so something I'm updating is going to be coming out with the 23, 2023 update very soon here. But of all the injuries that I've looked at for wide receivers, in terms of re-injury risk, foot injuries have the third highest. I've measured 16 of the major injuries that wide receivers deal with uh, in season for fantasy football. Foot injuries, third highest re-injury risk. In terms of looking at when that player is diagnosed with their injury, their fantasy production pre-injury versus post-injury, we take a three-game sample. Production decreases by 25% in that three-game sample, indicating that even when that player returns to play after a foot injury, they're still dealing with some of those nagging effects. So I think it's a, a significant thing to, to monitor. It makes me a little bit nervous about Rashad Bateman. Um, I like the player. I like the profile. I like the Ravens offense. So I definitely want to have some exposure to him this season, but I'm getting a little bit nervous if I'm being honest. Does it pause your exposure, Edwin, in that 95 to 180 P range that Bateman is currently going at? You know, I think that what it, this is probably more of a game theory thing. But I'll try to stick to the injury side. At some point, we're going to have more information. I think the injection in a vacuum, no, it's not a good thing. You don't want a guy seven months removed from surgery getting an injection in the foot. Uh, coupled with the fact that there's a chance, uh, just because some of these guys are managed this way, there's a chance that he already tried a course of anti-inflammatories and didn't do the trick. So they're like, okay, now let's inject it. If we extrapolate worst case scenario, there's a chance there. This is on the table that part of the reason that he's having this discomfort is because of the hardware that's in the foot in the first place. If they have to go in there and remove that hardware, that's another setback, another several weeks. Uh, it's just not an ideal situation on the extreme end. So the the bull case, I don't even know which, whether it's the bull case or, or the, I get confused with the bull case and the other case, whatever the case may be, the positive case is this is sort of water under the bridge. The injection solves the issue. He continues on with his rehab. Maybe he pops up on the injury report, uh, you know, a handful of times like Mark, like Marquise Brown did uh, the first in his rookie season after his list, Frank. But overall, he's able to contribute at, at a decent uh, at a decent clip and he pays off at that 95 to 180 P. I'm sort of just for now, I'm staying steady. If I was drafting him at that 95 to 100 range last week, I'm still drafting him at 95 to 100 until we hear that this isn't better, until we hear that he's not scheduled to start uh, when minicamp does, until we hear that he has some sort of setback. I guess this this move is, I'm sort of trying to stay as neutral as possible and not overreact one way or the other. And reminder, the underdog ADP tool on the site is completely free. And so you can gauge and watch that number, all of you out there yourselves. Tony Pollard suffered a fractured fibula in the divisional round. He is reportedly ahead of schedule per Mike McCarthy for whatever the hell that's worth. He participated in OTAs and he's supposed to be ready from the first day of training camp. So Adam, go ahead and give us your thoughts on Tony Pollard, who, in my opinion, if we think he's healthy and more importantly, we don't think a veteran shows up and also soaks up those 16 and a half weekly touches that Ezekiel Elliott averaged, then Pollard honestly should be a top five, top six running back. Yeah, I mean, I th I think you're you're okay drafting Tony Pollard. I mean, the, the injury, um, broken leg, that sounds serious, but you know, you go in there, you stabilize it, put a little screw, some plates, in, uh, a plate, a couple screws in there, stabilize it, should be good to go. Um, I think we're going to see him return to form. And then also, you know, to touch on a point that Edwin was talking about a little bit, Dallas has kind of tipped their hand. They let Ezekiel Elliott walk. 
they drafted virtually nobody. They drafted Deuce Vaughn in like the sixth or seventh round just because, you know, he has some loyalties to the organization with his dad working there. Dallas does not seem worried about Tony Pollard. When we look at um, projections from past injuries, similar type injuries, um, there's really no data or evidence to be that worried about Tony Pollard in terms of his fantasy football production and being ready to play. So uh, I think it's wheels up for Tony. And Pollard, I don't want to get in trouble by extrapolating small samples here, but was the RB1, RB3, and RB7 in his three career starts for Zeke, averaged 19 and a half touches and 27 fantasy points, half PPR points in those three games. Edwin, are you of that opinion as well, that you're not so much worried about Pollard's injury as maybe some other things behind the scenes? No, yeah, I think that Adam really nailed it, and I don't have a ton of concerns with uh, Tony Pollard this season. I think he should return to form. The the thing about foot injuries and running backs, and maybe Adam has a better sample than I have. We just don't, I we haven't seen a ton of these. At least I haven't been able to dig up a ton of uh, these specific fibula fractures. You know, somehow we had two this year in Rashad Penny and Tony Pollard, but I just haven't been able to dig up very many foot ankle fractures that have led to this. So the sample is limited into what we can anticipate. But yeah, it's not one of those major procedures. It's not a list rank repair. Uh, it's not anything major like that. So I don't, think we should necessarily worry too much about Tony Pollard. Here's where I'll push back, Adam. And you said something that was highly offensive to me. When you use the name Darren Sproles, please use his full name, which is Darren. I called him Darren Sproles. Look what I did. <laughs> what I meant to say was they didn't draft Darren Sproles. They drafted Deuce Vaughn. See, I did I did it in my brain. I like subconsciously do that. And his name is Deuce Future Hall of Famer Vaughn. So please throw some respect on the name. You will remember the name, and in 15 years, when he's putting on that Hall of Fame jacket, and Tony Pollard finished as the RB12 because Deuce Vaughn ate into his, all of his workload, then we're all going to look back and we're going to laugh. We're, we're going to laugh at you, Adam. So I hope you're ready for that. Even Kansas State, yeah, Kansas State lumps come after me. You you know my Twitter handle at the real Adam H. Uh, you can find me. Go Wildcats! You guys can blow me up on on the internet. Even in. Being a Deuce Vaughn fan, I don't know how many Hall of Famers are 5'5". Five, five. We'd have to look into that one. Uh, certainly an uphill battle Vaughn is facing. <laughs> but when your only competition is Ronald Jones, uh, then you know the sky really is your limit, at least for backup touches. On the other hand, as we know, we just talked about Tony Pollard suffered a fractured fibula. Edwin, is there a difference in that and what Rashad Penny suffered in having that clean break fibula in October since Penny was at least participating in OTAs last we heard? So I'll be 100% honest with you. I haven't seen the specific details on either of those uh, of either of those of injuries or big differences. I've been treating them uh, as if they're the same injury. So I don't I'm not as concerned with Rashad Penny. I know he's got a much longer history. There are exceptions to the rule i don't really love the narrative of uh you know injuries slowed him down but my lord if there's ever a guy where lower bodies you know where lower body injuries are going to accumulate and just really sort of zap his explosiveness it's got to be rashad penny i mean the guy has just had the worst luck he's had the acl which turned into a pretty complicated situation he missed like 13 games the first year back uh then he had you know now he has this this ankle issue that he's dealing with so He's just had, so he's had hamstring issues. So from a volatility perspective, it's really hard to look at him and view him the same way Tony as Tony Pollard when his injury history and his track record just isn't the best. You worry about 
a hamstring recurrence. You worry about potentially a complication with the foot ankle. He had a complication with an ACL, right? So there are things sort of that are a little bit more peripheral and extraneous when it comes to Rashad Penny's profile, in addition to sharing a backfield now, that I'm not as confident in him as I am in somebody like Tony Pollard. And because uh, the only positive thing that that uh, Rashad Penny has going for him is he's not being backed up by a future Hall of Famer. It's also annoying that Penny played every game in college and then gets to the NFL and suffers all these just nuisance injuries all the every worst single thing. year. You it's know the best crazy. predictor of a future injury or future uh, health is previous health. That's what it's supposed to be. But that it's supposed to be right. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on Rashad Penny? I mean, pretty much the same thing. Um, we saw him enter free agency and pretty much immediately get scooped up. Um, similar type injury to Tony Pollard where he should be ready to, re to return to play. But I mean, when we talk about a running running back and Edwin might also get mad at me for this, because I mean, if anybody is had carries the injury prone label, it's definitely been Rashad Penny. Unfortunately, the guys had just a myriad of, of lower body injuries from when he entered the, the league. You know, we, we go back a couple of years here, but you know, 2022, uh, obvious tibia fracture that we talked about there 2021 dealing with some groin strains and some hamstring strains came off the ACL injury of the year prior um for whatever reason just has not been able to put a full season together does this injury make me more worried about that I mean it doesn't help I mean it's just something that you kind of add to the laundry list but um in, in theory with his specific injury he should be ready for 2023 speaking of players now two years removed from injury Michael Gallup two years removed from reconstructive knee surgery, which for some reason everyone chased last year and is giving you the discount this year now that we're removed from it. That's that's oddly how these things work. So, Adam, what are your thoughts on Michael Gallup's health? Uh, you know, another show we can talk about his fantasy outlook around Brandon Cooks with the offense. Yeah, in terms of health, similar to running backs, um, two years out, their numbers seem to return to normal. I, I think for wide receivers and specifically the wide receiver data set that, that I've looked at, it's more substantiated with what, with how they're able to return to, to form. Um, looking at some of those, those metrics in terms of targets per game, yards per game, uh, things like that. Those seem to normal out the, this, the year, the two years removed from, from the injury. Um, specifically for players like Michael Gallup that have the, um, the build more of the downfield target deep threat. Um, they seem to struggle a little bit with targets per game, and that could go into specific nuances of their, of their offense and, and things like that. But from a health perspective, I think Michael Gallup should return to form. And what about for you, Edwin? Because I have admittedly been taking Gallup just for the dip. Uh, I, I don't know if he earns targets over Brandon Cooks in this offense, but I at least know that we're getting this sudden discount from his last year ADP tag. Yeah, I think that Adam really nailed it from a physical perspective. Uh, if anybody's going to fall into that second year, sort of if you want to call it a breakout, it's going to be Michael Gallup and J.K. Dobbins. Michael Gallup had a super late season ACL and then he came back, I want to say, and Adam, correct me if I'm wrong. He came back at like seven and a half months. He was in games, I think something like that, which John, that's insanity. Like that is, that is completely insane. He's the only him and the, uh, the receiver from, I think it was Clemson, I think did it. 
or whatever, who had the quarterback, maybe that came back from Achilles in like five months or something like that. Like he is in a, a very small class of people in the history of the game to come back that quickly and play at that level. So it is not surprising whatsoever that he didn't put up the numbers that we were sort of hoping for. So he's got more time to rehab. He's got more time to, to train. He's got more time to gain psychological confidence in the knee, which he mentioned in an interview recently that he was pushing. He said something along the lines that I'm paraphrasing, you know, they would ask me if I was okay. And I would say yes, but I knew I didn't feel right. I knew that something was off. I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't performing to the best that I possibly could to the best of my abilities, but he pushed on anyway. So I definitely think that if you're going to invest in a Michael Gallup, uh, there's some really, really fun, potentially hidden equity that could come from him, at least from a health perspective. You say seven months is crazy. I still think it's crazy, although I'm happy for him that one month later, they gave him $57 million. They just pretended like he never suffered an injury and paid him as like a top Z wideout. It, that part, to me, is still befuddling, even for Cowboys. To, to I'm going to chime in here real quick because this is just – I mean, we got two physical therapists on here. We want to talk a little sports medicine. I, I just wanted to nerd out a little bit because it, it is super fascinating, and I think it's adjustment some – people and fantasy managers are going to have to make going forward that prior to 2022, the average return to play timeline from surgery date to the, when they returned um, for wide receivers was around 48 weeks. And last season we had Robert Woods at 38 and a half weeks, Chris Godwin at 35 and a half weeks and Michael Gallup at 33 and a half weeks. So we're seeing that average decrease a little bit, return to play timelines, accelerate a little bit. I think it's an exciting time in sports medicine where we're looking at some of that. But I think everyone, when they look at ACLs, they go, oh, it's nine months or oh, it's 12 months. We're seeing that bell curve shift a little bit and sooner return to play timelines are going to become a little bit of the norm. Obviously, it's person to specific depending on the injury, but don't be surprised when some of these guys come back in seven, eight months following an ACL tear. So if that's the case, then Adam, let me kick it back to you. Are we then going case by case with these players thinking that like Chris Godwin, right? We knew we weren't going to get him the first month, at least at full health. But then we saw within two or three games, that was the only time lapse for him then being a startable weekly asset in fantasy. Although, you know, the ceiling didn't get there because of what that offense was last year. But is that suddenly then giving us a discount on players that we should be targeting if this bell curve continues because of sports nutrition and science getting better? I think it, it depends a little bit on, on the player. I mean, this is like a fantasy football aspect versus like a real life NFL aspect in terms of like return to play. But when we're talking about specifically for fantasy football pocket, because I mean, that's that's where our audience is. They want to know when's my player coming back and how many points he's going to score, right? That's that's pretty much all fantasy gamers are going, to, are, are going to care about. I think it depends a little bit on the player. When you look at some of the guys that have really come back, and it, it's guys that are obviously better, um, so they're going to produce more fantasy football points, but I'm seeing a little bit of a trend with some of these guys like a Cooper Cup, like a Julian Edelman, like a Keenan Allen that are these target machines in terms of how they operate in their offense as opposed to the deep ball threat guys that have limited opportunities to succeed um that i'm going to fade off of those guys a little bit when they come back and go more to the guys that have already carved out a role in their offense or they're going to manufacture some touches for these guys because their efficiency numbers are going to drop up but if you can boost that with a little bit more volume they're going to be safer plays any thoughts on that, Edwin? 
I think that that Adam really nailed it there. The timelines are definitely shifting. I think that there is with more available data for for sports med clinicians out there. Um, and and as every as we all know, every team is so competitive. Every dude is so competitive. Um, and I've been able to have some conversations with some people who not not necessarily NFL, but some some front office, uh, at least, you know, uh, staff. And I've actually had this conversation. It's like, how does a guy get rolling? Because the other part we haven't even touched on. I know we're sort of going off the beaten path here, John. I'm sorry. The other stuff we haven't even touched on is that the nine month mark is, again, you could argue, you could debate, uh, you could talk about the sample sizes and what the population was when they looked at the at these studies. But essentially, we think or we view as a, as a medical community, the nine month mark is like the benchmark. You're a, a person, generally speaking, their risk of re-injury, of re-tearing the graft significantly dips at the nine month mark. I think, Adam, you can correct me. I think it's like 2.7 times higher before that nine month mark or something like that. So the the re-risk, uh, the re-injury risk is definitely high. So even though we can't see these pushed up timelines and we can see guys like Cooper Cup, Julian Edelman come back and contribute, what fantasy managers, you know, to maybe to bring it back home, fantasy managers do have to weigh that um, re-injury risk specifically because within that first, let's say they do start coming back at seven and a half months, there's about a four to six week timeline where fantasy managers have to hold their breath even throughout the whole season, potentially, because we've never seen that before. And maybe coming back too soon leads you to an increased risk anyway. Maybe once you decide to come back at that point, your risk is already elevated. The bottom line is we don't know because we haven't studied that. So it, it's really comes with a lot of unknown fears. Um, but when guys, what I guess what the point I was trying to make was when guys start to get that momentum and front offices see that, and the medical staff is they're checking boxes and they're looking good and they're feeling good. Then you get a situation like Chris Godwin. It's like, all right, he's out there eight months, uh, you know, week one. But we saw the exact thing that I was just mentioning. We saw him out there eight months post-op. You, you'll have a really hard time convincing me that that hamstring strain wasn't at least part, you know, the, the ACL wasn't part of why that happened to him and why he had a recurrence of a previous hamstring strain. That's just it's kind of, you know, it's, it, I can't prove it, but it's just really hard to, to argue the other direction. So those are the risks that fantasy managers are going to have to start making. And, and people like Adam and I are going to really have some explaining to do <laughs> when all these, all these injuries, re-injuries and, and risks sort of shift and change. You always have jobs. It's okay. Uh, speaking of re-injury as well, Adam, someone that consistently is injured due to his chronic shoulder ailments is Dalvin Cook. Now a free agent. As Edwin mentioned earlier, even Dalvin Cook linked to the Broncos, given that George Payton is the one who drafted him in Minnesota. Dalvin Cook has also been tossed around Miami and with the Jets, potentially many options for him to land. And so wherever he lands is potentially re-injuring that shoulder, something that kept him out a game or two last year as well. Is that something that can occur potentially at his next destination too? hundred percent. And, um, on other shows, Edwin and I have talked about Dalvin cook a ton. We've gone back and forth. My personal philosophy is if you draft Dalvin cook, just pencil him in that he's going to miss two games. Cause that's pretty much what, what, what ends up happening with him. He carries a high re-injury risk in terms of injuring that shoulder. When we look at just running backs in general, in terms of the re-injury risk for shoulder injuries, it runs around 10% based on, again, the aforementioned injury index that we talked about. I think for Dalvin Cook, you 3X that a little bit based on his injury history. Going back to some of the fantasy football production, I mean, 
sh- will it, should it, or will it limit his fantasy football production if it becomes an issue? I tend to think no, just because, like I said, you pencil, pencil him in for missing a couple of those games. He might get injured mid-game and have to have to leave early. But in terms of the running back that he is, looking at some age production curves, he still kind of falls in that bell graph of he's an all-purpose back that's involved in the rushing and receiving game. Average age apex, you will, for, for running backs tends to be around that 24 to 24 and a half year old mark. If you're more of an, an all-purpose back involved in multiple facets of the game, I think you can kick it out and the data suggests you can kick that out a couple, another couple of years through that 26 to 28 age range, which is where Dalvin Cook is. So I still think he should have a couple of good years of fantasy football production, but just, you know, make sure you draft a guy that you are ready to plug and play in a couple scenarios because that shoulder injury likely rears its ugly head again at some point, And he probably will miss a couple of games. And I should clarify Edwin that he didn't miss games last year. He just left a couple early because of that shoulder injury. Since he was cut from Minnesota, he is still going as the RB 24 overall at 77 ADP. I would imagine that continues to sink behind Isaiah Pacheco, Rashad White is getting steam, maybe even James Conner as well. And so how do you feel about his ADP in that range as a low end RB2 for best ball purposes? I, I definitely think that can pay off, right? It totally depends on what backfield that he he ends up in. But I mean, Adam makes very good points. And I've been very anti-Dalvin Cook. And I admit that to this point, I've probably missed out on some value when it comes to him. So, you know, pencil him in, like, like Adam said, two games, maybe three. You do always have that like, okay, it was a high energy dislocation this time re-damaged the labrum i'm relatively certain i have to go back and double check relatively certain he's had a a labrum repair on both sides at this point so that's going to be something that you just have to live with he's at a bit of a higher elevated injury risk than than a lot of other running backs but again if he's going as you know the rb what did you say rb24 i think you said rb24 i would imagine it dips a little bit but right now basically for the next week we will probably be talking about him as a low-end rb2 high-end rb3 yeah, he's definitely a guy that I, I view in a similar ilk as like a J.K. Dobbins. You can get him at a bit of a discount. Don't expect a massive ceiling of a year, but they can definitely contribute. They can definitely contribute to your team, especially in best ball. They'll have spike weeks every now and then. You never know when they're going to come. Um, and when they don't come, okay, you sort of are insulated for it because you you drafted around that strategy. I think the other things to consider too, that from a best ball perspective or, or you know late round dart perspective, whoever Dalvin Cook is, is backing Dalvin Cook up, take a flyer on him. Like I said, there's that elevated risk. we got to look at both sides. If there's an elevated risk for Dalvin Cook to go down two games at least, if not an entire season, then whoever the guy is behind him, we got to take a dart on that guy. And right now, both Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride, who has yet to appear in OTAs because he's still rehabbing from the same injuries that held him out of the draft process, both of them were available in the 17th, 18th round behind Alexander Madison. Uh, With Brock Purdy, I want to kick it to you, Edwin, for the lore, the tell of what is happening since Purdy has increased his ADP of late as an last round, 18th round pick in best ball mania. And so if we think he is there for week one, I would imagine he is the starter if he's healthy and thus he's a tremendous value in the last round. But do we think he's going to be healthy? So he is cutting it very close. I'll say it's very, even for a quarterback, which is a very, very different position than a pitcher. 
for week one, he's cutting it really close. So basic, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I don't think these things are relevant, but I find that some people actually do want to know. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are at least curious. The reason that Brock Purdy has a chance to come back and the difference between to- Tommy John and a repair could be really confusing. Long story short, a Tommy John is a total reconstruction. You have to redo the ligament. You do you put everything in place. Even a quarterback would probably take roughly nine to 12 months to come back from that. What Brock Purdy had was a repair. What you do with the repair is you still take the native ligament. If you imagine a ligament, let's shred it up. Basically, this ligament is still good enough and they can sew it back together nice and tight, nice and neat, reinforce it, and then they close it back up. It's a much, much straightforward, much, much straightforward procedure. So he's, I think, has started throwing it three months is what it is. And because it's a much less stressful uh, act throwing a football than throwing a baseball, he can progress through a throwing program much more quickly as well. So he's going to be right around the six-month mark, I think. Is that right, Adam? I think the six-month mark. Uh when week one hits so he I had it closer to i think seven but i think you seven okay yeah so if he's closer to seven he's definitely got a chance he's definitely he's definitely going to be in play and from a health perspective he's at a slightly increased risk you you could always have the josh allen situation where somebody comes and bats his ball down and he he can re-sprain the ucl but there's no reason to believe that he is sort of this increased super crazy injury risk. Maybe his deep ball is a little less accurate, which I don't know how often Brock Purdy actually throws a, a very deep ball. They could probably disguise it with crossers with Debo Samuel, George Kittle out of the backfield from McCaffrey. I'm not sure how often he's going to have to huck it 40 yards downfield. So I don't think that this injury is going to impact him to a really large extent. But I'd be interested to hear what Adam has to say. I mean, I think we're in lockstep here, to be honest with you. I mean, you talked about the differences between NFL quarterback and MLB pitcher. Um, it also comes down to the the repetitions. I mean, even with them managing pitches, and a typical pitcher is probably going to throw somewhere between I don't know, 70, 80 pitches in a, in a major league game, depending on if you're a starter or a relief pitcher. I mean, for Brock Purdy, he's probably making – in the Kyle Shanahan offense with the way they like to run the ball somewhere between 15 and 25 passing attempts. I think his timeline lines up for him to, even though it's cutting it close, Edwin did a good job breaking down like a Tommy John and, and uh, a repair, the differences there. I, I think he, he's going to be ready for week one. I think he become, you know, for like you were saying, John, he's the week one starter. And then the 49ers try to figure out what they're going to do with their quarterbacks. If they were to hold him out a little longer, if that seven months up to week one is just a little too soon for them. For instance, the 49ers play their first Thursday night football game on week three and then return home for a 10-day rest in week four uh, at the beginning of November. So let's say if he were held out, if we think he's going to be there in November, does that mean, Adam, that he has less of a chance to potentially like re-injure himself if they're holding him out even longer to get more rest or is it the same percentage? Yeah, it's hard to quantify those numbers specifically. I think basic logic tells us that if you give yourself a little bit longer to recovery, then recover, then your injury risk decreases. Um, that time frame, I think is so small that like if he wasn't ready for week one they would just 
they would just hold him out. It wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, we can get this extended rest break. So let's give him two more weeks of rest or recovery. I I, I don't think that time frame's big enough that they would justify it. He's either going to be ready for week one or he's, or he's not. Okay. Then I think the big picture point, Edwin, that you both are saying is that he is so close that he'll be ready for week one that either way, he should be available for us barring another you know, re-injury in the second half of the season for best ball tournaments. And that's what's important. Oh, 100%. 100%. I, I do think that he'll be ready definitely by the middle of the season. Like He should be rolling. The only reason that they would really hold him back is if he's not recovering well, uh, if he continues to have persistent tightness, if he you know takes a couple days to recover as opposed to being able to recover immediately in the 24-hour mark. His throw, right now, he's really progressed to the throwing and um, his rehab is slowly transitioning to more of a maintenance program. So how his ligament and how his elbow responds to the throwing program that they're going to give him and and San Francisco does, you know, they have a really good sports, you know, sports science department. They are going to do everything they possibly can to get this guy back and get him healthy. I think that if he doesn't return, it's probably a matter of recovery and less so a matter of uh, a re-injury risk. And finally, another quarterback who there is an entire discussion around is Kyler Murray because in 10 full starts last year for Murray, he was the QB six in fantasy points per game and also sixth among all quarterbacks with six and a half carries per game. But now we have this looming injury. We have this new Cardinals regime clearly in tanking mode and not only with their first round pick, but also Houston's first round pick this upcoming season. And so let's begin, Adam, let's step back and just talk about Kyler Murray's health. And right now, what does his rehab and injury timeline suggest without discussing game theory? When should Kyler Murray be on the field if they had intention to bring him back this year? I mean, yeah, all that stuff you laid out is what makes it such a such a difficult case. Polarizing. But I think if we're, yeah. yeah, yeah. If we just look at it specifically from his injury timeline and taking consideration the quarterback position, which is a little bit different than some of those skilled positions, wide receiver, running back. Um, from that perspective, I, he should be week one. He should be Arizona's week one starter. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff that, that you talked about that really muddy, muddies the water there. Um, but yeah, from, from, a, from a health perspective, I'm thinking week one should be, he should be good. Wow. Okay. Because right now, again, QB 22, on underdog. So I think everyone is assuming Edwin that he just won't play or that he's not expected to maybe even come back until the second half of the season. And that's why the team would hold him out. But if we think he's going to be healthy, this is the first time I'm hearing this actually, Adam healthy by week one, then maybe do you think he's a discount at this time? I do. I definitely do. I would, I would, I'm not sure if you said it, Adam, I'd be curious to see what you think. He did have a meniscus and typically with a meniscus repair, you have to be off of the, unless it was a trim, of course, you have to be off the knee the first few weeks or month ish um, before you can actually start your rehab, which that tax on, on the back end a few weeks too. But I'm not sure, Adam, do you know if it was a trim or a repair? I don't have that a super nerdy question. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wondering what that means. And that's a super nerdy yeah. question, but Adam knows what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. So basically if you go in there and trim it, it's, uh, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but if you have to sew it up, it's a little bit longer. What were you saying, Adam? I was going to say, I don't have that specifically. I'm tend to, I'm leaning towards it being an arthroscopy just because 
of some of this, like the, my projection, but you're right. I mean, a, a repair would definitely um, lengthen that timeline for your post based on your post-surgical restrictions. But still with that, it would even be, so basically Adam and I just painted out what the the best case and, and sort of worst case scenario, again, from a medical perspective are. I don't think that it would tack on anything more than than about a four week difference if he did have that repair. Uh, that's something that we're just going to have to monitor. But I mean, we saw Joe Burrow's knee just explode and he was back in nine months. So that that's something that we have to, have to consider. Kyler Murray will be about eight months when week one hits. So really, we're looking at that week one to week four, five-ish uh, time frame, depending on what kind of procedure you had. So if we can sleuth around and find whether it was a repair or a trim, that's going to really help us with our projection, at least from a medical standpoint. But we can also look at the data from the, the rushing that we see post uh, ACL. And it's kind of all over the board when it looks at this little, because this Kyler Murray really falls into a small category of players that we can reliably view rushing attempts from. And so if you look at a sample of Donovan McNabb, uh, RG3, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, we'll be generous and throw Joe Burrow in there when we look at their rushing attempts. So Donovan McNabb was a plus 12%. We saw RG3 minus 18%. Deshaun Watson was a plus 22%. Carson Wentz was a minus 37%. And Joe Burrow was a minus 33%. That's again, those are those are rushing numbers. So that that that's the amount of, of rushing attempts that they had per game. So when it comes to that, that's something that we're going to really have to weigh. It seems to me like you know, that Deshaun Watson plus 22% was really him just running for his life. And I'm not sure that I'm sure that that's probably more of an outlier. So we probably can view somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 10 to 15% fewer rushes per game for Kyler Murray, which if at this point with his ADP probably doesn't mean a lot, but if you start cutting, you know, uh, if you really are starting to, to, to try to pick, pick nits at other guys that are around him, that's something to consider. Adam, the issue with Kyler, of course, if we, then talk about the game theory with it is that if he is, his return is prolonged for the reasons Edwin mentioned. And then suddenly they are looking at week seven, eight to bring him back. But if this tanking team, if this team with very little talent on both sides of the ball is 0-6, 0-7 at that time, then the organization has to ask themselves, are we even bringing him back? Um, and so then I think they get into the mindset of, can he be re-injured? Like, do we actually hurt our chance of trading him if that were the case in this Caleb Williams stake and lottery for this next season? And so do you think there is a high percentage he would just suddenly get re-injured outside of a freak occurrence if they were to put him back on the field, you know, around that time of the year? So, yeah, I feel like I may have not did. even phrased it properly. That's how no, no. complicated Kyler's situation is when you talk about, like, gambling on it as well. Yeah, and I think, like, Edwin and I have, done a pretty good job this whole show like yes no on a player we've been very black or white and I'm totally going to sit on the fence here with Kyler Murray because I kind of buried the lead when we talked about it. in terms of a health perspective Edwin laid out those quarterbacks return to play timelines post ACL what they looked like I think in a perfect scenario yes that's Kyler Murray but when we I mean, if you've watched football, you watch Kyler Murray play. How many plays does he extend scrambling around the pocket, running around like crazy? He's one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. So when I think you bake that into him. It's it's a totally different scenario where 
it could ex- extend his timeline. And then the longer that it takes for him to return, that's what you're talking about with the Arizona. Do they go full on tank and say, let's go Caleb, Caleb Williams in 2024. It make it, it makes it a, a very risky play for Kyler Murray uh, this season. And I just, as we get closer to the season, I think I'll have more of a clear take, but, Right now, I'm I'm totally sitting on the fence because it, it it could really go either way, and that's what makes it such a difficult situation with him. And you don't have to have a take, Edwin, but if you do have a way you are playing it now, I'm sure everyone would love to hear it. Oh, John, I'm reckless. I'm reckless AF. I'm drafting. You're Kyle taking Murray right the now. lottery ticket. I'm taking it right now. I mean, everybody loves to paint the floor, right? And I and I have a I have a I have a take hashtag T A E K about like whether he sits out, whether he doesn't. There are so many nuances I've learned over the last couple of years when it comes to front office and player relations and agent relations and, and how they go about their business. It is so much more complicated, complex, and political than you can imagine. Usually, you even if it's a team that's just like hardcore tanking, an NFL season is extremely short. An NFL coaching, you know, on average, a, a coaching position, the shelf life is extremely short. The players, even quarterbacks, right? They, if you think about a professional career, quarterbacks play their professional career 10 to 15 years max if you're really good. Like these are very short shelf lives. And these aren't just abstract things that we talk about on podcasts and try to to discuss, you know, for fantasy football purposes. Like career lengths and and shelf lives are something that that um that manage that uh agents and players and, and organizations are talking about all the time and they might not always be on the same page, but very, one of the rare things they can agree on is competing and, or, and that they, that they typically agree on that they don't disagree on is competing. They want to compete. Even if it's on a week to week basis, some organizations just can't help themselves. They want to win games they'll, they'll do everything they possibly can. And players want to compete. If there's one thing I've learned working with some guys over the last couple of years is that at the end of the day, they just want to compete. Like they want to do what they have to do to get back on the field and play because it's all they've known their whole life. So, you know, obviously I can't get in Kyler Murray's head. I can't get in the Cardinals' head, but I think everybody's sort of already assuming, oh yeah, they're going to tank. You know, Kyler Murray's off an ACL. He's going to take at least a month to get back. They'll be 0-4 by then and they'll just pull the plug. Kyler will agree, yeah, let's just pull the plug. And then everybody's sort of pretty, because we can fit it in this nice, neat little package. I don't think it's going to be that simple. I think Kyler Murray wants to compete. I think the front office wants to see what they have in Kyler Murray if he's if he was worth that extension. And if they believe him to be safe, if they believe it to be safe, I think he's going to be out there. So rolling all that into one package, of course, we're probably going to meet somewhere in the middle with this. But I just I'm not convinced as we sit here in June that everybody just that the Cardinals are just going to roll over and and they're not Kyler Murray's not going to be out there at least by week four or five so that's sort of my take that that's where I'm at that's why I'm like I said I'm being right maybe I'm being reckless um but I'm accepting and embracing the fact that I don't actually know but that's like the beauty of best ball right specifically is that you can embrace the unknown sometimes it works out for you and sometimes it doesn't but given the ADP and everything we know like Adam's being much more reasonable about this, but I'm I'm drafting him. I got I, I drafted him in a best ball draft like a month ago or like more than a month ago. And I was ex- super excited. I thought it was going to be one of those things. Everybody would come together and high five me on Twitter. I just got roasted for for being excited about Kyler Murray. So at this point, I'm just going to lean into it. I, I I want all the Kyler Murray I can have. I'm going to add one cherry on top to, to Edwin's piece to make it a little bit sweeter too about, about Kyler Murray. And this is another topic Edwin and I have 
disagreed on a little bit, but that can be for another show when we talk about like re-injury risk or hit rate for mobile quarterbacks. Okay. And this is something I looked at a couple of years ago, but looking at mobile quarterbacks specifically in terms of their running rate, Kyler Murray is one of the safer quarterbacks in the sense that on average, those quarterbacks got hit or tackled around 60% of the time. Kyler Murray was well below average at 48%. And then when we look at like big hits, plays where quarterbacks were absolutely blasted or destroyed he had the second lowest big hit rate at seven percent so this is a guy maybe it goes back to his baseball background but he when he runs he gets down or he steps out of bounds he avoids big hits so you bake that into again that that's not something that's going to be have to be coached up into his game coming off an acl tear it's something that he already does he already knows um it makes it makes it a little bit sweeter so yeah i just wanted to add to that little caveat as well and my only take is that at least if you're drafting him for QB3 builds, and I understand that these large field tournaments were playing for $3 million on underdog in particular, you do have to draft as if you're correct. You do have to take Kyler Murray and pretend at like in two QB builds that he's going to return. But right now, in my opinion, it's so inconsequential to get someone with that proven ceiling as the QB22 off the board. There are only 216 picks in an underdog draft and at a best ball mania draft. And he goes at picks 168. Just think about that for a second and his ceiling. It is so inconsequential that, yes, I do end up taking him, even though I don't have an opinion whether this guy actually plays or not. And that's where I sit on this subject. Edwin, tell everyone where they can find you and what you have going on right now. Yeah, so right now, uh, I, I'm on Twitter, FB Injury Doc. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, all my written stuff is fantasypoints.com and the newsletter that I recently started up again had to move off of the natural Twitter, uh, whatever platform they had. So I moved on to a new one and it's a, it's a beehive and it's free. So I recently just put out two uh, newsletters about some of the stuff we talked about much more in depth, the second year ACL and and performance outliers after ACL. So uh, maybe I'll toss you the link or something, but that, that's what I'm working on now. And eventually the ebook that I'm publishing in July. Excited for that. Looking forward to the book. Adam, tell everyone where they can find you and what you have going up at the site coming soon. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's been great to chop it up with you guys. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at the real Adam underscore H. Anything injury-related, we'll find at 444.com um, as the season starts to ramp up. And be on the lookout for that injury index, updated numbers for the 2023 season. It breaks down every, or I should say, the most common injuries based on position. Gives you an idea of average time missed, what the recurrence rate is, and then what does fantasy production look like pre-injury versus post-injury. So if ever your favorite fantasy football player got injured, you would have a plan and it would help you navigate the waiver wire. That will be coming out very soon at 444.com. And remember, there is much more on the 444 YouTube channel than what you see on the site and you can subscribe for free. So until next time, every Wednesday, 1230 p.m. Eastern, live on the channel. Be a little bit kinder. Let's apply. We'll see you then.